1: Welcome to the Sixer Cents Podcast, hosted by CoSite experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of our podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris here, new know Uriah. he's got some school stuff going on and I totally understand that, hope that it goes well Uriah, we know you're listening. Um, Chris, lot to cover, we haven't done a podcast in a little while, but that's okay, we're going to get to it now, right?
2: Yeah, so a brief hiatus. We're going to get back into things with the Lakers game from Wednesday night, Lucas. That was maybe not the most thrilling victory in Sixers history. No LeBron James for the Lakers, a very late game. So not everyone was maybe awake fully, (laughs) but Sixers did win 20 plus points for all four members of the big four.
1: Are we My calling game. them the Are we Are we calling them the Big Four, Chris?
2: Uh, I don't know. Lucas. I, I the four good players on the team. Let's put it that way.
1: Oh, they, come on. There's bad, there there's a couple other good players, but good offensive players, yeah. I'll probably, consistently good <laughs> offensive players. I'll give you that.
2: Um, nine points for George. Nine point seven boards for DeAndre Jordan against his former team. Lucas. The final score. Was 126 to 121 in Philly's favor. Um, notably, this was like a big Dwight Howard game. He had 24 points against Joel, which you know, was probably the best game he's had in a couple years. Um, Westbrook had 24, 9, and 8, one of his better games. He's been on a bit of a surge lately. What were some of your big takeaways?
1: Well, I don't know if we can call this a better game by Westbrook because he had eight assists and seven turnovers. But in terms of shooting, yes, you are correct. It was a better shooting game for him. Um, I mean, let's think about it. the The Lakers outside, you know, Westbrook clearly is not the same player. I mean, he's had a little bit of resurgence, but still, for the most part, he's he's struggled this season. Dwight, that's a one out of like every like. 30 games for him maybe at this this point in his career. Um, Carmelo Anthony had 20. Malik Monk had 20. Those are go- both snipers off the bench. I mean, you got Stanley Johnson, who wasn't in the NBA to begin the year. Same thing with Wendo Gabriel and Austin Reeves, who we both liked and thought the Sixers should have probably gone for in the second round, uh, ended up being not drafted. and He started, but he had a bad game. Um, I think this is just Lakers trying to step up. Uh, from the Sixers' perspective, yes, you are absolutely correct. The Sixers' Big Four, or you know whatever you want to call them, had a pretty good game. Joel had another thirty and ten game. I, I think it's his thirty seventh of the season, if I'm not mistaken, Chris. Or it's it's up there for sure. And then you know he shot pretty efficiently. You have Tyrese Maxey with twenty one points and seven assists. James Harden with twenty four points and seven assists. And you got Tobias Harris getting 20 points, five rebounds, seven assists. It's, it's, this is one of the better games that that starting f- uh, five has played. I mean, Matisse Thiebel only had four points, but he had two steals and a block. I find it interesting that Tyrese Maxey's shooting better percentages from the field than James Harden is in this game. And I think we can say probably most games, to be honest. Um, good bench performance and we'll talk about that more why the reason why probably going when we cover the heat game. Uh, I don't know, Chris, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I think all your points are, are pretty strong. Uh, I, I mean, Max, he's been shooting a higher percentage than James all season. Uh, frankly, James has not been very efficient from the field relative to his career this season. Um, this game was another example of him like having a pretty crappy first half and then kind of waking up in the third quarter. He's been doing that pretty often since arriving in Philly. Um, he was like one for 10 in the first half and then had a really strong second half to help Philly close the game. Slight injury scare there where he banged knees with oh, yeah. Gabriel. That was not fun. Um, Joel also... Clearly flared, you know his back flared up at a certain point. So this was not the most entertaining late night game of all time. Uh, the Sixers were pretty ridiculously poor on defense. Like they, they just were not awake for this game. They won because the Lakers, as you mentioned, just don't have very many bodies at this point. Um, without LeBron out there, you know Stanley Johnson did a great job defending James. They have some some interesting talent. On the margins, but that that's a really bad team, especially when LeBron's not playing. So the Sixers won, but it was not a very impressive win, I would say. Um, even like the 4 main guys, this wasn't their absolute best night out. Um, it was a really good Tyrese game. But Joel, even at 30-10, and 10, it wasn't the best Joel game. It wasn't the best James oh, Harden hold, on,
1: game. hold on, Chris, what are you talking about not best Joel game? Yeah, he was efficient. Eleven from nineteen from the field
2: and eight of twelve from the foul line. Like I don't I'm know not, Look, Joel's like one of the five best players on planet Earth. You know, even a mediocre Joel game is better than most guys. But
1: Are you are you are you disappointed that he didn't give us another forty pointer? Is that it, Chris? Is no, that he it?
2: played fine. It was a pretty up and down defensive game for him, as it was again for the whole team. Like like it wasn't Joel's most dominant performance against Again, Dwight Howard. I mean,
1: fair fair enough, but at the same point, the
2: guy did have three steals and three blocks in this game. He did, and then Dwight Howard had 24 points. So
1: yeah, I. But we we can all admit that Dwight just had it. I think Dwight just had a lucky
2: night. Yeah. Um, you know, it it like this should not have been as close as it was. The Sixers, they played any sort of defense. This probably would have been a blowout, but. Um, they did score 126 points. So the offense did click into place when it needed to. Again, James had a much better second half than first half when he was out there. Tobias, frankly, had a really good game. I will say this is one of the better Tobias games we've gotten lately. So Tobias and Tyrese really stepped up. They've been doing that more lately. Um, Tobias' approach has really shifted the past week or so, which has been nice to see. Um, He's
1: becoming more of the elite role player. And an elite role player, Chris, can get you 15 to 20 points a night. And I think yeah. he's embracing that role as like a spot up guy making quick decisions.
2: Yeah. And I mean, we've been talking about them needing that from him all season. So it's nice to see him moving in that direction. But uh, yeah, a bummer that LeBron didn't play. Obviously, he's the guy that Joel is jockeying with in the race for the scoring title, them and Giannis. Um, it would have been nice to see them go off together. Um, that's, again, two of the five best players on the planet, maybe. But...
1: No, this is the second game that uh, LeBron has avoided against the Sixers this season.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know if it's fair to say he avoided it. You know?
1: Well, okay, he He's has gone. not played. Yeah. He had a strategic rest.
2: Uh, uh, yeah. Well, however you want to put it. Win's a win. Yeah. Um, I think the
1: bench didn't look bad. I mean, what you got... You, you basically had 18 points. That's not, that's a lot better than what we had been getting from the bench.
2: Yeah. I mean, George had a really strong start to the game. Not 18 points, sorry, 27 points. Yeah. Shake Shake was a little bit quiet, but him and Furkan, we're going to talk about a lot with respect to the Heat game. Um, and then we can talk about DJ as well. But let, let's go ahead and talk about that Heat game.
1: Of course, Chris. We definitely need to talk about this Heat game. For those that, um, that didn't see the game both Joel Embiid and James Harden game day scratches from the matchup walls uh, has been dealing with the lower back injury. We can trace that back to a couple games before I think who was it against Chris. It was it wasn't the Raptors. It was um, what team did he hurt his back against. Was,
2: oh gosh. Um, let me check here. I think it was the Mavericks. No, it was, it was the game before the Mavericks. Oh, the Nuggets. It was the Nuggets game. The Nuggets, yeah. Yeah,
1: Jamal to Green took mm-hmm. him pretty pretty much hammered him in the air. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, Jawal was out and then James Harden was, you know, hamstring maintenance. I think it was a good time. This I mean, like the Sixers have not played the heat up full strength this season and I'm honestly okay with them both being scratches, you know, it was a second night to back to back. They already lost the first game. This would have been a tough game if, even if both did play. So I, th- I, 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 think we both were expecting a loss, Chris. But the Sixers pulled this out, 113 to 106. Even though pretty much minus, I think who was it, Gabe Vincent, the 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 Heat were full, uh, you know, power in this game. So that they even had Marcus Morris back after his uh, long-term absence. So, the Sixers won. Chris, Tyrese Maxey, showed not only to be a great scorer, but a clutch player in this game, hitting two step-back threes late in the fourth. You had Tobias Harris with 14, George's Niang with 15. But, Chris, the real story is the bench here. Jake Milne, 31 minutes, 21 points. Moss 27 minutes, 18 points. Chris, there's so much to take away from this. Go ahead and just dive into it. Tell me what you're thinking.
2: Mm, yeah, look, I mean, if we didn't see this Furcon game coming from a mile away as soon as James and Joel were confirmed as out, I, I mean, what are we doing here? Uh, this is like the most predictable Furcon night imaginable. It's nice to see him get some rhythm back. He was not particularly explosive, but he looked pretty good in his time out on the floor in the Lakers game too. Um, we haven't seen for for a few games now. He's been obviously having a well publicized shooting slump this season. If he can get back to those, like he was four from seven from three in this heat game, that's not going to happen every night, but if he can get back to being a consistent deep threat on a high volume, he's a guy. The Sixers are going to play and they probably should play. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I think it's, you know, we'll talk a bit about the bench here more in depth in a second. But I think he's going to be kind of in a battle with Danny for minutes here down the stretch. We'll see how that plays out. Ultimately, he played 10 more minutes than Danny in the Heat game. Um, 18 points, as you said, 20 for Shake. Shake and Tyrese just both like went to town on poor Tyler Hero in that fourth quarter. I, I kind of felt bad for the guy. Um,
1: I think we have a formula to beat the Heat in the playoff series now, though. you got to hunt out their poor defenders.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: Tyler here, that's Duncan Robinson. Um, you can make this argument Matt, Matt Strauss is one of them, too.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, that's really the formula for most teams, is you got to match up in the playoffs. Um, but Tyrese is a stud. It's just... Wild watching him put up two James
1: Harden game. step backs, Chris. Two James Harden step backs, pretty much well, almost in every a row. Step
2: back is a James Harden step back.
1: It, are you saying that didn't look like
2: James Harden step back to you? It wasn't like the one that looks like a travel, it he kind of did a sidestep. It's fine, yeah. I'm willing uh, to put um, uh, look, Tyrese is like just awesome, he, he does. Legitimately seem to get better every game. Um, you know, his whole mantra is get 1% better every day. Feels like he's doing that, frankly. It's kind of absurd to watch um, how he just steps up whenever he's asked to step up. He, like, without fail. So, this was a really impressive win. The Heat are the number one seed in the East. They've had a couple bad losses now. Uh, they had a pretty remarkable shouting match on the bench the other night, which I would like to attribute to Tyrese Maxey.
1: That was, that was Jimmy Butler and Udonis Haslam and even Coach Bostra got a, you know, got in on it. But it wasn't against the Sixers. It was
2: against their yeah. next match. That uh, was I'm, against the I'm, I'm just players. saying it's a carryover from the oh, of effect of Tyrese's dominance. But, Yeah. Paul Millsap got the start in this game at center which pissed off just about everyone on planet earth. He had 23 minutes, 5 points, 4 rebounds. So uh, uh 25 minutes for Deandre Jordan who had 2 points and 8 rebounds. I thought Millsap was notably better than Jordan in this game, like by a pretty wide margin. Maybe some of that's the matchup. Miami's got a lot of like mobile versatile guys. Millsap is old, but he can move his feet better on defense than Jordan can. Uh um, better lateral move. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't seem like we're going to get Paul Reed or Charles Bassey no matter how much we whine and complain about it. So if, if that's not going to be the case, I'd at least like Doc to maybe give Paul another look down the stretch because Jordan's just not cutting it on defense right now as much as his lob threat theoretically helps next to James. I was about to say,
1: lob threat? What lob threat? Chris, he's doing horrible on lobs this year.
2: Yeah, so there's a pretty strong case to give Paul Millsap another look. If, you know, you're not going to go to the young guys, there's a really, really strong case to try to go to the young guys. But Doc's not going to do it. It's probably pointless to keep asking him to do it because it's never going to happen. So.
1: Oh, Chris, uh, he gave Paul Paul Reed 47 seconds.
2: No, he gave Paul Reed three seconds. Was it really? I thought it was was literally 2.8 seconds. Oh, my God. 2.8 total seconds in a game Joel Embiid did not play. That's That's not great. Not ideal. Charles Bassey was available to play, too. He didn't get any minutes, zero seconds for him. So if this, you know, if he's not going to play when Joel is out, then he's just never going to play. I kind of resigned myself to that fact. But, yeah, this was obviously an impressive win. They beat the one seed without their two best players. You'll take that any day of the week. Tyrese is a stud, and a lot of people were very happy that night, myself included. So,
1: I'm going to say something here, and I don't think you're going to agree, but just hear me out. I think in order for the Sixers to be successful... I'm not saying James Harden should defer to Tyrese Maxey as a scorer, but I think James Harden's primary focus should be playmaking with the scoring being a secondary thing. I'm not saying that he should be lower on the shot depth chart, but Maxey's clearly a better shooter than Harden is right now. Not saying overall in his career, nothing like that. But I think for this team to be successful, James Harden has to make sure that he gets his other teammates involved. Because the more assists that James Harden has, usually the Sixers do better. Am I wrong, Chris? I think they're like 6 and 1. Yeah. With
2: well, the, I mean, he I has would time. just argue that I think Harden's approach has been pretty clearly inclined towards playmaking so far. Like, I, I think yeah. he's pretty clearly focused on getting other guys involved before himself.
1: Yeah, I, that, that's what I'm saying. But there are games where he doesn't. Like, clearly, that Nets game was not one of those games.
2: Yeah, I, I think the Nets game is like it exposed some worries, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say that was a bit of an aberration and just a weird night in general. Mm-hmm. Um, fair,
1: fair enough. But my, my point is that I think this team best functions with James Harden being the, pri- like, his main focus being playmaking. As much as Doc Rivers is like, oh, I want James to shoot more, more, more. No. Like, he does not need to be shot hunting. He's to be playmaking hunting and let the shots come naturally. He's going to get yeah. 20 points. He's going to get 20 points any given night, Chris. It's 20-plus points.
2: I, I, I want say- to see. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that where they need to change focus more is just, When James and Joel are on the floor together, the offense needs to run through Joel more than it is right now. Like, James should have the ball in his hands when it's James leading the second unit. That's when James should be trying to do James Harden stuff all the time. Yeah, of course. And he should obviously have spots to do that when Joel's out there, too. But when Joel, especially early in the game with how Harden has been starting these games versus finishing them, you just need to run through Joel in the post, even with James out there.
1: If you That's something it, I'm it, sure
2: they'll figure out. I'm, I'm sure part of this is Doc just trying to get James up to speed and trying to figure stuff out ahead of the playoffs. I'm I'm sure once we're, you know, knock on wood, once we're in the big moments, they'll go to Joel when they need to go to Joel. But yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about how James is being used. I um he's just clearly not like an MVP candidate anymore, which is fine. It's what everyone should have expected, but. Yeah, I, I think Tyrese, part of the reason he's shooting so efficiently lately is because of James. Like, he's clearly course, benefited yeah. from playing off of James. But, yeah. I mean, I, the three-point percentage was there. The but,
1: yeah, and the three-point shooting was already there before James Harden was had come to. Um, I will say this in retort. I think what you were basically saying, Chris, is that the Sixers need to play inside out. With pounding the ball in at first, that's going to open up everything else for the shooters. That's going to get guys like you know James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Harris, Cork Moss, Shake Meldon, Danny Green, all those guys easy looks. Play play to the point where you can't where they just pack in the paint and then because even if they pack in the paint, Joel's probably going to get a call like you know eight times out of ten, like. It's just you got to play inside out with this team. Like pick and roll, inside out. Let Joel post up. He's gonna make the right pass to get the ball out. He's not as turnover prone as he used to be. I totally agree. But Chris, I think um, any any takeaways from this uh, I, from the Miami side before we we switch gears.
2: Um, not really. We're gonna talk about. I'll talk about Miami more at the end when we we're going to power rank our Eastern Conference contenders. So I think that'll be a good spot to talk about how scared we are or are not of Miami right now. But
1: I, I like the big three. They all had 20 points. They're big three. Uh, Lowry had 12, 20. Bam had 22. Jimmy had 27. But yeah, you, we
2: can go ahead and switch gears. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's a really good team. They're the one seed for a reason. But yeah, we're going to talk about the bench. We've been talking about the bench for a while now, Lucas. Um, Doc Rivers has clearly settled on the idea of running a nine-man rotation with this team. It's just a matter of which four bench players he's going to use. I assume we're going to see some level of experimentation down the stretch, though likely not as much experimentation as we the fans would like to see, because, again, Doc Rivers is the head coach. But... In your mind, Lucas, right now, if you had to pick four guys to be the four guys off the bench for Philadelphia, with an eye towards the playoffs, which four guys would you choose?
1: Can I choose one of the two young big men, or do I have to choose one? Okay, I can. Cool. Okay, so my preferred lineup, I think I would like to see Danny Green. I'll take Paul Reed. See, this is where it gets hard because I have a three-man race for this these last two spots. I think I'll take Shake Milton. And you know what? As much as I would love to see, you know, Stroke and Joe play in the playoffs, I'm gonna have to go with Maz. He's a little bit more playoff proven, and last year he actually didn't look bad in the postseason. So yeah. I guess my four-four would be Shake, Korkmaz, Danny, and Paul Reed.
2: Uh. You're forgetting George Niang, Lucas. Are you oh shoot! I forgot about
1: Niang. I totally forgot about Niang. Okay, uh, scratch. Scratch Corkmas, I guess. Yeah, I, I need Niang in there.
2: I I think that's a fair group. I am. Um, I will say my locks are George. I think Shake at this point would be a lock for me, and I too would lean towards Paul Reed, and I at least want to see Paul Reed get a shot before. For the playoffs he probably won't but that'd be he ideal will. so paul reed george niang and shake milton are my three locks i think the last spot for me though i'd like to see more isaiah joe like you said probably becomes a battle between danny and furcon it really depends on if we see more furcon these next few weeks and what we see from furcon i think in an ideal world like if it's last season's Furkan, you take him over what we're getting out of Danny Green every day of the week. Because I, I do think the bench unit needs more of an offensive punch. And what we saw in that Miami game was a lot of open court running with Furkan and George and Danny and all those guys shooting threes and shaking and Tyrese getting downhill, getting to the rim, playmaking out to those guys. Like, that's the ideal version of what you can get out of this bench unit. So if Furkan can get back into shape the way that we know Furkan can, then i I'd be tempted to say Furkan is my ninth guy. So let me ask you this, though. Because James Harden is
1: going to be in the lineup, does Shake really have a role where he could be that secondary ball handler? Or is he is he going to be relegated back to a spot-up shooter? Because he's an efficient spot-up shooter, but he's not a high-volume spot-up shooter. So would you really rather have Shake over Danny then?
2: Uh, I, I think so just with how they've been playing. Um, I, I, I think shake is ideally better off with another ball handler on the floor, frankly. Fair enough. Um, right. and like, like you just need another guy right now who can go out and get his own shot. The Sixers don't always seem to have enough of that, even with James and Tyrese out there. Um, especially with how James is struggling with his three point shot with his finishing right now. Um, so I, I lean Shake still, I but I, I get your argument. I have been firmly anti-Shake in the past, so I, I get where you're coming from. But I, I think with what we've seen from him, I'm confident enough to say that Shake has earned that spot. But I'm willing to change based on the next couple of weeks and what we see. Yeah, um, I think
1: that, that I think that last spot between Danny and Shake, for me personally, is where I struggled with. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's... That, that, that's a good thing because, like, I guess it depends on how Doc Rivers will use Shake moving forward. Now that we see Shake getting his confidence back, yeah. uh, I will say that, that that Lakers game though, he only he had five shots, but he only had three points. So that that wasn't great. But if, yeah. it, it's a, it's a tough one, Chris, for sure.
2: Yeah, and I mean, look, end of the day, it's almost definitely going to be DeAndre Jordan who plays center in those lineups yeah uh we saw very briefly a few games ago doc play paul reed next to deandre jordan which i think confused a lot of people but
1: i mean paul reed is a tweener it can work
2: paul reed is an athletic six foot nine maybe natural forward who can guard on the perimeter a little bit and like athletic Versatile defenders have been, like, the one thing the Sixers don't have enough of. So I kind of get it in theory. There's an argument to try out Paul Reed, even if you are going to stick with DJ. So you know how much I am behind Paul Reed as a player on paper. I think he's, like, a genuinely special defender or defensive prospect at least. Mm -hmm. So, like, there are interesting things that the Sixers could try that they won't try. Well, I'll
1: say this: I think Paul Reed's probably their best, you know, outside of Joel Embiid, their best defender to defend Giannis, because we saw Paul Reed make some good defensive plays against Giannis. Yeah. And then probably. I would be, I'd be willing to try him on Kevin Durant. Let's see what happens. Let's get weird. Let's see what happens. Yeah, Paul Reed can
2: switch. Um, the Sixers are playing two centers right now who. Pretty much only do drop coverage, which is exploitable in certain playoff matchups. Uh, James Harden has played some of his best basketball in the past with defenses that switch a lot. So he might not mind having to switch five like Paul Reed. It's something to think about Doc Rivers at Doc Rivers on Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a Doc Rivers. uh, Well, wherever you are, Doc, if you're listening. Uh, maybe give Paul a shot. I think it's worthwhile. Well,
1: Chris, I think it's now it's time to switch gears. And we're going to talk about the power rankings in, of the Eastern Conference contenders. We're going to go one through eight gear, Chris. We've got the Heat, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Raptors, Cavs, Bulls, Nets. So out of those eight teams, we're, who, who who's the top and who's the worst? We're going to start with number eight. Chris, you see yours, and then I'll say mine. We'll talk about it when we move on.
2: Um, my number eight is Cleveland.
1: Okay, I, I I would say that's fair. I think injuries have really depleted their chances. Plus, they just they're too inexperienced. I think.
2: Yeah, I I think they're a young team and they don't have a ton of offensive firepower right now. Not that you know if Jared Allen gets back and they're healthy, they're certainly not an easy out. I, I think they're a competitive team, but. I, I think they're the weakest bet of the top eight seeds right now.
1: I think that's fair. They lost Ricky Rubio before trading for Karis LeVert, and then they lost Colin Sexton out for the season. They just don't have enough offense. Garys Garland and Karis Lavarde are they're really only two, you know, playmaker, you know, shot creators, and that's just not going to be enough in postseason.
2: Um, so, who's your number seven? Um, I have Chicago
1: at number seven. Ooh. Okay, that's not who I have, but I'm curious to see why you think Chicago.
2: I I think the top seven, you can make a case for every one of the top seven to like win the East. Six and seven less so, but like I I, I don't want to undersell the fact that Chicago has an MVP candidate and two elite like on ball creators on the wing in DeRozan and Levine. That's generally a pretty good recipe for success in the playoffs. If they get Lonzo back and Caruso back to full health, they have the chance to be a pretty good defensive team, too, that can do some interesting stuff schematically and be pretty versatile. So I I don't like want to undersell Chicago. They're a real team and a real threat. Vucevic is a guy who can stretch you out offensively at the five spot, but... I don't know. End of the day, they just kind of scare me less than the other teams. There are a lot of really good teams in the East. The Bulls are like 0 and 16 against top three seeds this season. They just haven't been winning games against the really good teams. That doesn't always mean anything, but I, you know, 0 and 16 is like ridiculously bad. So they're winning the games they're supposed to win, but I just don't know if they're quite on the level of the real threats yet. So I have them at seven. But that's not to say they couldn't make me look pretty foolish.
1: Yeah, I just, I, I got to see it in the playoffs. Like, they haven't been healthy all season long, Chris. Patrick Williams literally went down like the first game. He's he's on a minute's restriction. He's coming back. We're waiting on Lonzo Ball. I don't know. The Bulls, and I mean, I get it from the sense of the per- Sixers' perspective because the Sixers basically have their way with them anytime that they want. But, like, in terms of, like, could they come out of the East? I think they have a more than, you know, seventh best chances of coming out of the East. My seventh seed is actually the Raptors, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I, I think that in terms, like, they all, they have great, long, lengthy athletic guys that can average between, you know, like, 15 and 22 points per game. Fred Van Vliet, first-time All-Star, well-deserved. You got Gary Trent Jr., who's probably really underrated in this league. Scotty Barnes could be arguably the rookie of the year, probably goes to Evan Mobley, but Scotty Barnes has a legit case. You have Pascal Siakam, former All Star, playing at an All Star level, just didn't get the boat this year. And you got OG Ananobi. Granted, Grant, he's been injured most of the year, but one healthy has been a terrific two way player. Like they, they they have a lot of things. Their bench is honestly just not good, and I kind of just don't think they have enough sh- enough shot creation in the playoffs.
2: Um, I I think that's fair. I have the Raptors at six. So yeah, that's
1: what I thought. That, that's um, where I thought
2: about them. Yeah, I I think with Toronto, it's just they have a really solid. Starting five, like all five guys in that starting five, when they're healthy, are really good players. Siakum, well, do you, did you
1: start Siakam at center when you got everybody healthy? Or do you I think so. Up?
2: And, I mean, Siakam and Vliet have both been playing at a really high level. Um, Obviously, Vliet's hurt at the moment. But he'll be back for the playoffs. So that's a really strong core two players. Maybe not the strongest in the East. But it's not like they don't have any star power. They can defend really well they have a lot of length they're going to make things really difficult for teams we saw that when they played the Sixers like they're just going to rebound the heck out of the ball they compete hard they can they have a lot of length as you said like they're going to be able to muck up the game and make things difficult for even the best offensive teams so that combined with the fact that Nick Nurse is a really great playoff coach with a strong record you, you know I, I I like the Raptors a lot I think they can make some noise I don't think they're getting quite the credit they deserve, frankly. Obviously, they don't have Kawhi Leonard anymore, but that is a team with multiple guys who have championship experience, a championship head coach who we know can out-coach a lot of the guys in the East right now. So, I think the Raptors are legit. I, I, I don't think Chicago and Toronto are quite on the level of the top five that we're about to go through, but... Um, I, I think the Raptors have the chance to make some teams sweat it out.
1: Yeah, and just for record, I have the Bulls number six. I think they just don't have enough length at on you know at the four spot, and I just don't think, like, DeRozan, I mean, granted, he always ran into LeBron, but him and Levine are not really proven in, in playoffs. Actually, pretty much none of their team is. And the fact is that they've been injured for most of the year, and they don't have a lot of chemistry playing everybody healthy. So that's that's a factor that we have to take into effect here. And like you said, the record against top t- three teams is is a red flag. But I do I think their shot creation does give them a little bit more of an edge, and the fact that they have an MVP candidate and, Ro- and Demar. I was about to say Derrick Rose. Wow, flashbacks. But anyway, let's get to number five, Chris. Who do you have at number five? I'm curious.
2: Um, I have Miami at number five.
1: Ooh, interesting. Okay. Don't hate
2: it, but let's go over it. Thought process. Yeah. Um. Again, like these are all really good teams. I can mm-hmm. see Miami winning East. I, I do not want to discredit them. They are the number one seed. They've been the number one seed all season. We'll see if they can hang on. But I'm not like panicking over the whole bench altercation thing. Teams get heated. You fight with your family every now and then. It happens. Guys get over it. They're a really good team. They have one of the best defensives in the NBA when they're right. A lot of versatile guys who can switch around. Bam Adebayo is a real defensive player of the year candidate. We've seen what P.J. Tucker can do in the postseason. We know that Jimmy and Kyle Lowry are guys who can step up in big moments. Victor Oladipo is coming off the bench now. Tyler Hero is going to win sick man of the year. That's a really tricky team to guard. And that's a really tricky team to score against. So I don't want to undersell Miami. They're a real threat. Um, but I, I do think the fact that their two best players can't really shoot the three point ball has it bit them last season. You know, we've seen it kind of hurt them already. It did last season against Milwaukee. I, I just don't know if I trust them offensively the way that I trust other teams. I think Lowry changes things quite a bit. And, again, Eric Spolstra might be the best coach in the NBA. So all five of these teams that we're about to go through have a real chance to win the East. So I I just want to keep hammering home that point. I'm not saying Miami isn't a threat and that they aren't really good. There's a reason they're at the top of the standings right now. But uh, I think that fact that they just don't have a ton of shooting with their top two players is, is kind of worrying. And I don't know. I just don't know if I buy them quite the on the level that I buy the top four. I think there's something setting apart the top four for me right now. But Miami is a really, really good team, so I don't want to sell them short.
1: Yeah, I have them number five as well. I think. Well, we talked. We we kind of saw it in the game against the Sixers. They do have weaknesses. You can definitely their bad their bad defenders are really bad. They do rely on a lot of three-point shooting. and That becomes a little bit more inconsistent in the playoffs. The difference maker for them, if they're going to make a deep run, it has to be Tyler Hero. Because, let's face it, Jimmy Butler's not a three-level scorer, and Kyle Lowry is not not really an aggressive three-level scorer at the stage of his career. So it all goes on Tyler Hero, who's your sixth man, and who can, quite frankly, be taken advantage of in the playoffs, too. So... It's it's gonna be a tough it's gonna be a tough ask and I just as well as coach they are as well defensively as they are I just I don't know if they can like we we saw like, like you said last year we saw them get spanked by the fucks and I just you gotta show me you gotta show me like regular season's awesome but we know suppose teams can have like a horrendous roster and go still go like forty two and forty two
2: so. That just speaks yeah. to how great of coach he is. And the like record. the flip side is that Jimmy and them were in the finals a couple of years ago too. So where
1: well, they really had no fans. business to be in the finals, to be honest.
2: They didn't. Like, but you know, I think they're a better team now than they were then. So while the rest of their competition has leveled up, like Miami is a real threat. I think I I I, I could see it happening. So I, of I, course, I, I think it's possible. <laughs>
1: You, you tell you tell me Miami wins the East. I'm like, okay, I'm not shocked by that. It's it's totally plausible. I can see a path of where that happens. But let's go to number four, Chris. Who do you have at number four? <laughs> uh, I I can already know. I by that breath, I can already tell who you're gonna say. Just say um,
2: uh, the Sixers. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. you. Gosh, Chris, where, where's the Homer in you, man? Um, the Homer in me really. Thinks they're going to win, but again, all these teams have a very real path. I i, I want to keep emphasizing that. Philly at number four, they could totally be in the finals. Obviously, they have the talent to do it. Jerome Bede might win MVP. James Harden, for all his, like, all the talk about him having a crappy postseason track record, I think, frankly, those statistics are overblown. He's had some pretty great playoff moments as well. Um, Tyrese Maxey is like really really starting to come on as that third star in a big way got Tobias you have Matisse who, who's you know going to have his nights defensively obviously on talent alone offensively Philly if they can get things right if they can strike the right balance between Joel and James they can go to the finals but what concerns me with the Sixers right now is that the defense just is not there where it needs to be. They have a lot of holes defensively that I'm not sure they can cover up as good as Joel and Matisse are. But what also concerns me, like let's speak honestly is doc rivers. <laughs> I think he's I'll liable to doc get out coached.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'll give you doc rivers.
2: And that's not who like, I have. At number. They have four good players and the rest are pretty, potentially pretty big liabilities in the playoffs. Like, if Doc is playing DeAndre Jordan or Paul Millsap, those guys are going to get played off the floor on a regular basis. Niang is going to get played off the floor in certain matchups. Matisse is going to get played off the floor offensively in certain matchups. Farkhan, Danny, Shake, not all those guys are guys you can really super rely on in the playoffs. But I think the lack of depth and athleticism defensively, we keep they're just getting out hustled on the defensive end, frankly too. Effort wise, it just hasn't been there lately. The rebounding, there are just a lot of issues I'm worried about, and it's hard to win when you add a superstar midseason. Like it generally works better after an off season for guys to get to know each other. Like I, I think, frankly, Philly's best shot might be next season when they can build a better roster around Joel and James and give James time to rest that hamstring and all that fun stuff. I, I think next year might be Philly's year, more so than this year, frankly. I'm not saying that it can't happen. Not saying that Joel can't go Supernova and, and lead them to a championship, but I, I think there's some pretty real concerns with Philly, and that's why I have them at four.
1: <laughs> okay. So, I don't have them at number four. But, uh, and you might, I know you're going to disagree who I do have at number four. But I'm going to say the defending champions here. And it's no—it it, no, it is no slight against them in terms of they are an elite team, they have the opportunity to definitely repeat. I am not saying that they don't. I think they could totally repeat. But here's the thing. They've pretty much been without their starting center all season long. He's finally making his comeback, but we don't know what he's going to look like after that. But more importantly, yes, Giannis is an MVP-level player. I agree. But the rest of that supporting, like the rest of that big three there, I'm, I like, yes, they won a championship, but like, let's be real. Let's be real. They were a half an inch away from being bounced by Kevin Durant and like a half, like 50% James Harden. And like, I just, I see the, I don't know. I feel like the Bucks could very well be a second round exit. I I feel like they could be. I, I feel yeah. more confident about saying that about the Bucks than I do about
2: the Sixers. So here's the
1: thing. that's just me piece. Personally, I think
2: like every team in the East could be a second round exit. A lot of them could be first round exits. You tell me Philly loses in the first round, I buy it. You tell me Miami loses to Brooklyn in the first round as the one eight, I buy it. Mm. Like all these teams could lose early. I I I I think there are eight legitimately good teams in the East this year. It's like a rare level of competitive depth, but yeah, I don't have the bugs at number four. Uh, yeah. That's, I see where that's, you're coming from. They certainly aren't, like, a flawless.
1: And, and I like how the Sixers match up against them, personally. That's, that's part of it, too. That's part of my thinking. I like how the Sixers match up against them. I think the Sixers could win a seven-game series. Like, I'm not, like, too uneasy about it, personally. But, Chris, let's go top three now.
2: <laughs> this is where it gets a little tricky for me. Um... I'm gonna put the Celtics at number three.
1: Mm, Okay,
2: okay. But Boston has been on an absolute tear since January. They've they're really humming offensively. They have the best defense in the NBA. They have like two defensive player of the year candidates and a bunch of other really high level defenders.
1: Who? Who's your second? Oh, what? Marcus Smart. Marcus
2: Smart. Uh, Smart might be my pick.
1: Like straight no, up. no, no, no. It's Rob Williams for me. What he's done, I just I can't ignore. Him. He's anchoring that defense. It's Rob uh, Williams defense. He's my defensive player of the year right now. If I had the have a vote, he's my number one.
2: Yeah. Well, I it's telling that they have two guys you could credibly say that about. Yeah. Yeah, Like Boston has the best defense in the NBA right now. They have guys who can defend every position pretty much at a high level. Like if we're talking about the Sixers matchup. They have maybe the best James Harden defender and maybe the best Joel defender in the NBA and a lot of guys around them who can make an impact in multiple ways. They can switch. They can drop. Robert Williams, as you said, can guard all over the place. So can Al Horford. They have Derek White coming off the bench who can do a bunch of stuff on both ends. It's just a really good team. Um, They're certainly the hottest team in the East right now. It, it like, bums me out to put the Celtics above the Sixers, and it, like— a power ranking of contenders that that would really be upsetting. If Boston won a championship with Jason Tatum, want Joel and James Harden are playing together. That would really, if like if Al Orford is holding up Larry O'Brien at the end of the season, it'd be kind of a bummer, but the Celtics are legit. Um, There's really no other way to put it. They have both sides of the ball locked down right now. They have a superstar helming the offense and Jason Tatum. They have another really great perimeter creator, Shotmaker and Jalen Brown, and some really savvy vets. So that's a team that could win it all. Like the Celtics are a legitimate threat. They have a really good roster, and I, I think they have a chance to do some real damage in the postseason. So
1: I also have the Celtics number three. For all the reasons you said, I. They have one of the best young wing tandems. I think it was good that they didn't, you know, break that up. Marcus Smart has really developed into a good pass-first point guard, and he's not shooting bad this year. Al Horford has found the fountain of youth in a way back in Boston. Rob Williams, as I said, he's my defensive player of the year right now. I, I, you know, and Emi Yudoka, Let's give credit where credits due. He was able to change the culture of that team. And, I, uh, you know what, if they win it all, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. They definitely have the talent for it. Uh, the bench is a little questionable. But, I mean, when you have guys like Tatum and Brown who are under 25 that can play,
2: like, 40 minutes a night, it, it
1: doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things.
2: Yeah. Does so it bother I, you I, I, that all the, like, Sixers assistant coaching disciples are better coaches than the guy they actually have? Does that ever bother
1: you? I mean, I, I, of course it does. Is but this the fact same- that Monty
2: Williams has been the best coach in the NBA for two years running is, is, okay, like used to work under Brett Brown. Does that ever bother you?
1: Okay, so here's my thing. I think we both wanted Monty Williams to take over for Brown. Remember having that conversation? I'm pretty sure we had that conversation. We could have. At- and I'm pretty sure when Udo- when Brett Brown was fired, we both had Yudoka on, like, probably top five or top three on
2: our, like, you know, potential replacements.
1: Mm-hmm. I know I did.
2: So yeah, I never hated Brett Brown as much as everyone else.
1: I, I thought he did a good job. I, th- I think the problem was that I think the whole entire Jimmy Butler thing soured Brett Brown's reputation in that locker room. Yeah. I, I and, and, his, and his preferential treatment to Ben Simmons. I think those were the two biggest things that kind of ruined his his voice in that locker room cuz as a ex-is an O's coach he was right up there with Nick Nurse in that series against the Raptors. I I thought he won toe to toe and did yeah, a really I,
2: good job. I'm just saying whatever weaknesses Brett had I don't think Doc Rivers has fixed any of them. You know what I mean?
1: Um, yeah, no. And and I'll <laughs> say this, I honestly Part of me thinks that I think personality-wise,
2: you want to say Brett not great... is not a better coach than Doc Rivers. Do no, no,
1: no, 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 no.
2: What I'm I was going to say, put it out there into the universe as a possibility. Oh, wow, I'm not I'm saying pro- it. I'm not going to go. I'm not proclaiming it as fact, but I'm saying there's a conversation to be had. I don't. Brett should get another coaching job. Whenever when, he wants that's... one, he should get one. I'm still on the Brett Brown train. I'm just saying.
1: Here, here's a crazy thought. What if Brooke Brown is the one that replaces Bob?
2: What were the big complaints with Brett? It was like, is his voice loud enough in the locker room? And does he make adjustments enough? It's, it's the same two things with Doc. It's the same problems over and over again.
1: Yeah, for sure. And here's my other thing. You could talk about personality wise. This guy isn't a great fit for a front office, but as an ex is that those guys, Dave Yeager is a really good coach. I, I agree. Arguably right up there with Doc Rivers. But that's yeah, not my... long as
2: Buddy Hill's not on the team. There's nothing to worry
1: yeah. about. Or, 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 you know, Brandon Williams is not the exact... Um, or anybody from Memphis. But anyway, um, going back... But yeah, no, the Celtics, I, I think, are a legit shot. Let's go to number two, Chris. That's where it gets dicey now.
2: Uh, I have Brooklyn at number two. Interesting. Uh, I considered putting them at number one, and I considered putting them at number three. And really, I probably considered putting them at number four. It's a bit tough. Obviously, if you're going to have Kyrie full-time now, unless they're playing in Toronto, that changes things. But teams that have lost as much as Brooklyn have generally don't win the championship. They've had a lot of injuries, a lot of roster turnover this season. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with Ben. If he does play, it's going to be tricky to integrate him into the rotation, like right as a player. They're still hopeful that he does play, Chris.
1: They're still optimistic. Yeah.
2: So if he does play, there are concerns. If he doesn't play, there are concerns. That's not a perfect team. Defensively, they have a lot of holes. But end of the day, Kim Durant might be the best player on the face of the earth. Kyrie has been putting up like 40 points every time he touches the floor. They have a lot of shooting offensively. I, I frankly have zero concerns about that team producing on the offensive end. They can outscore anyone in the Eastern Conference. No problem. Like you said, were it not for injuries, they would have beaten the Bucks pretty handedly last season. So I, I think Brooklyn has a real chance. But it might be kind of the same thing with Philly where it's like, Next season is Brooklyn's time and not this season just because they've had so much going on and have had to weather such a consistent storm. But we'll see. They could be the eight seed and, and win the championship. It's certainly in the cards. That's a very unique situation that they have going on over there with all the stuff related to Kyrie and Ben. So we'll wait and see. It might be stupid to have them at two, given what they've accomplished this season. It might be stupid not to have them at number one. Who knows? I'm just banking on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, frankly. I'm pretty comfortable doing that. Kevin Durant is just on another level, frankly. So that's why they're number two for me. That's why I kind of feel weird about them not being number one. But also there are reasons to feel weird about them being in the top four. So for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they're number two, but there are some concerns for sure.
1: So for me, I have the Sixers number two, but I totally get where you're coming from with Brooklyn, and obviously, I'll talk about them in a minute. Um, for the Sixers, I just I think like you have the core starting to figure it out and the bench starting to figure it out. The weaknesses you've already said: Doc Rivers in the center rotation, perimeter defense. Those are the three weaknesses. However, I think in a playoff game, Joel's going to even, you know, you're going to get 40 plus minutes of Joel, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris. You're, you're, you're like Matisse Ibel is the wild card there in terms of minutes, but like you're going to get 40 plus minutes from all those guys Like you're barely going to be relying on your bench. Joel and James Harden and Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris all grab more like joel's a double digit rebounder tobias hard and maxi can grab seven rebounds any given night i i just i feel good about it like i feel good i you know we were all very happy when the trade was made obviously there's holes but those holes get minimalized in the playoffs in terms of rotation in terms of like on-court needs because the starters are going to be getting more minutes you're absolutely right about doc river's It could very well, you know, his stubbornness, his stubbornness in terms of loyalty to veterans like, you know, DeAndre Jordan could end up costing the Sixers a series. And I I will totally, I've written about that, and I I wouldn't put that out of the question. But you have a former MVP and the front runner for the MVP this year. You have one of the best up-and-coming talents and one of the most, you know, underappreciated, you know, scoring forwards in the game. Regardless,
2: well, OK, is he really the most underappreciated scoring? Well, forward? he's oh, uh, well, he's Isn't also that how we want to categorize the bias. Well,
1: well, I mean, he's also the most overrated, uh, not overrated, overpaid scoring forward as well. I'll give you that. Yeah.
2: I, I but, mean, I think another legitimate concern and like Brooklyn has the same concern, but like their ability for Joel and James, 40 minutes a night for seven games for four series, if you want to win the finals, like. It's fair cool. enough. It's a thing to be worried about,
1: but I'm I'm counting on everybody being healthy. Yeah, that's that's I mean we're that's I, I'm making this
2: even new. like beyond health though like how well is James Harden playing by the seventh game of a duke it out series where he's playing? So the thing
1: the is, game you game. don't need him to score like he scored, and that's the that's the difference now, Chris. James you, Harden you, can very you well. You
2: don't, but. Also, that's going to put a lot more pressure on Joel's shoulder, and the defense isn't winning you a series, so it's. Well,
1: I, but really at the same time, you games. don't think that Tyrese Maxey could not rise to the occasion, or he something could. like
2: that. But it's also like the first actual playoff series or playoffs I, really for Tyrese because he didn't. I play mean,
1: he much played much. in that Washington series. He, he played, did, well.
2: but that was the Washington series, and he was playing 15 minutes off the bench. There Fair enough.
1: Saying. Fair enough. But okay. So then my number one is obviously the nets. And I just, I think if Kyrie was healthy last season and didn't get hurt, I think they won it all. And I think that that could very well happen this, even with all their flaws, Kyrie and Kevin Durant could easily win a championship by themselves. Yeah. And and if Ben Simmons is even like 70% of what he was in Philly, that that just makes them that much more dangerous because he actually can actually
2: defend. So, how rational do you think the Sixers fan base is going to be if Ben Simmons wins a championship this year? Oh, they're going to be. What are the reactions going to be? How is Twitter? What's the mood going to be on Twitter if Ben Simmons wins a
1: championship? The mood is going to be petty. (laughs) Mood will be petty. Everybody's (laughs) going to be petty. I will be petty. You will be petty at some level. Like we're 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 professionals, but let's be real. We'll have a moment of pettiness, and then we'll congratulate him and move on. But, yeah. like, everybody else is going to be extremely petty and salty until the start of next season. But, hey, you know what? I'm not worried about it, Chris. You know why? Because I only have, like, another, like, less than another month, like, maybe two more weeks before I can take that dang profile picture off my Twitter page.
2: And then I'll be you happy to replace that. it with the one of Ben holding up the Larry O'Brien. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you can do that if you want. But
1: I'm not doing that um, um, ever again. But, no. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's number one. I think it's totally fine. Pop- I I think they I think they would it like like I said last year, roster, honestly about the same this year, maybe even a little bit better this year arguably, No, especially if Ben comes back. That mm-hmm. Ky- I think Kyrie and Kevin Durant can just turn it on, and I they're the one team that I'm like the Sixers should actively avoid in the playoffs. Like yeah. everybody else, I think they have a really good, have a solid chance against. But like against the Nets, no, I don't. I don't feel good about that, Chris. I really don't. I think yeah. the Nets has, has definitely have a personal vendetta now, thanks to James Harden. And I just Kyrie's just like let me actually play defense, like Kobe Bryant does in the playoffs against you know James Harden, only James Harden. And I just I don't feel good about that. But everybody else, I feel like the Sixers have a like a more than just a puncher's chance against. But the Nets, I don't feel that way. I I, I would be gen genuinely concerned if they matched up against the Nets.
2: I think that's and fair. It, I and then, I then your the number box. one is Bucks, right? Yeah. So if there's a star in the East that I trust in the playoffs at remotely close to the level that I trust Kevin Durant, it's probably Giannis. Um, fair. Just because we saw him do it last season. Obviously, the Nets aren't going to have James Harden and Kyrie Irving for that series. It's just going to be Kyrie and maybe Ben Simmons and a lot of holes and question marks. that they well, Ben can def- defend Giannis. Oh, okay. he can. Again, I totally the Nets could win. I, I all these teams could win, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but like the Bucks, they have Giannis. I'm a just a big, huge believer in Giannis. I have a lot more faith than you do, apparently, in Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday as, like, a very high-level second and third star combination. I'm not say, Let me say that
1: they're – I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying compared to everybody else, the second and third star, mm-hmm. I feel better about. And we have this, that podcast conversation a few weeks yeah. ago.
2: Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Grayson Allen, all those guys, I think they have a pretty solid supporting cast. I think Mike Budenholzer has – really improved as a coach. Over the past couple of seasons, I think Mike Bootholder has a legitimate coaching advantage in a lot of these series. Whereas maybe you couldn't say that a few years ago, but the Bucks won it last season. They have a super-duper-duper star. They can defend the heck out of the ball. Like Next to Boston, that's the best defensive team probably in the conference when it comes down to things. Giannis is going to do it on both sides of the ball. Just because of all the question marks with Brooklyn and their health and where they've been this season and Kyrie not playing every game for most of the season, there's just enough there for me to keep the Bucks at number one. I, I, I mean, get, it's a fair I argument. That's a number one. I, I totally I, understand where you're coming from. But, yeah, I have the Bucs. I, I think four through one can be very fluid. Yeah, I think one through five, frankly, even with Miami, could be pretty yeah. all over the place. Mhm. Miami has a legit, legit argument. You could talk about Toronto that I and think Chicago could totally beat a team currently listed one through five. So oh,
1: totally, they could totally have a first round upset. Totally, nobody's yeah. a safe matchup in this. Like maybe the Cavs. Maybe the Cavs. Yeah, are a safe Cleveland matchup.
2: is the only team I have like no real concerns about. I would be absolutely flabbergasted if the Sixers lost to the Cavaliers.
1: I mean and I mean I I wouldn't I would definitely pick the Sixers as the favorites against the Bulls, but do the Bulls have the necessary firepower to technically make it a series against the Sixers? Sure. Yeah,
2: sure. Man. Look. Matisse Thibault can only guard one of DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, so
1: But again that's a very all dangerous team. Of, of course then again literally the Bulls have the worst defenders to throw at Joel. Vucevic always gets burned. Tristan Thompson's extremely undersized and they just don't seem to like my boy, Tony Bradley at all. Wow. So,
2: so you're recanting all your past praise that Tony Bradley is one of the great... D- I, no,
1: no, 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 no. I never said that he's not bad. I'm saying they don't want to play Tony Bradley. Mm. That is what I am saying. Do you think, think Tony the
2: would play Tony Bradley? That is
1: a good question. You know what? Doc Rivers barely played Tony Bradley last year. He, he clearly chose Dwight over Tony, and we all think that probably Tony was better. Oh, at
2: least.
1: yeah, we do. Uh, so uh, so that, 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 that should answer your question right there. No, he would not play Tony Brown. Um, Doc Rivers like, wants a center at least with seven years of experience because he had one time with Kendrick Perkins, and, like, seriously, outside of Kendrick Perkins, what center has he played that has, doesn't have at least seven to eight, ten years of experience already under their belt? Uh, oh, <laughs> maybe DJ when he first DeAndre got there. Jordan? Yeah. So he had to at least have what Doc got there in what, 14, 13, 14?
2: So, yeah. Around there.
1: Yeah, so, Doc, you know, DeAndre already had like five or six seasons under his
2: belt. Yeah, which is. Which is the whole problem? It's like time, you know. Time. Is Doc expensive.
1: Rivers does not trust. Like you have to be a regular starter for, uh, or like regular role player be, as a big man in order for Doc to trust you. Which drives me absolutely nuts. Because Doc could see you for three years as a starting as a rookie, as a big man going into like your fourth season, and he won't play you. Yeah.
2: Look, Doc has talked about how impressive Charles Bassey has been in practice. Paul Reed won G League MVP. I refuse to believe that those guys aren't playing well in practice. So it, it's really upsetting.
1: But I just it's that loyalty to veterans, man. I don't get it. Like I get yeah. that these young guys will have mental mistakes.
2: <laughs> but well, newsflash. show will DeAndre Jordan, he so, doesn't have the speed to make up for them.
1: But. And say, like Paul Millsap might not make mistakes, but he's too. Like he's too damn short, Chris. He's too damn short to do anything on de- yeah. defense.
2: Yeah, I, I I kind of agree. It's it's upsetting, but we,
1: okay. Let's we we were supposed to end the podcast after his
2: power rankings.
1: Let's let's do that, Chris, because I feel like we're running a little bit over time now.
2: Yeah, Uriah's is not gonna be happy that. We're an hour in and talking well, about Tony guess, Bradley. Guess
1: what? Uriah's not editing this one, <laughs> so he doesn't have to worry about it. Sorry, Uriah, but it's true. Uriah,
2: we love you and we appreciate you. And Sorry for we talking you. about Tony Bradley. At
1: least we didn't diss M- Matisse too much.
2: Yeah. Well, maybe we can talk about some Smurfs next time he's on. <laughs> then, I I do think we'll have to wrap it up. Um to yeah. all our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this slightly longer than normal episode of six Your Cents podcast as always please like subscribe and follow along on apple podcast spotify google play or audible or at our website the where you can read our written work we are on twitter at six or Cents. so until next week go sixers peace and love all that fun stuff um i don't know why i said peace and love like I, it's the yeah, 70s yeah, yeah. but
1: I was about to say, you, you, yeah, no, man. Too much,
2: too much. Too much, yeah, too much. Dazed and Confused watching for me.
1: Ah, oh, man, you'd be cooler if you did.
2: Yeah, great movie. (laughs) Everyone who hasn't seen Dazed and Confused, should go watch Dazed and Confused. And before Uriah climbs through the phone and attacks me, I'm going to end the pod. So, bye, everyone.